right, howdy and hello, everyone. Um, as usual, I am Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, I got a sprained foot, but other than that, doing all right. Yeah, so you had a little uh, episode last night at a an youth episode. meeting. Yeah, <laughs> I like, yeah, an episode. Um, sprained yeah. your ankle pretty good? Yeah, sprained it pretty good. I've twisted it many a time, but this time was uh, worse than those. Yeah. But I'll survive. Just okay. hopping around. Just the things you do to serve kids, right? I'll tell you what. And, I mean, well, and my boss, Tiffany Crenshaw, she's also out on a broken foot. So apparently working in the media department at Cibolo Creek just comes with feet it's a, injuries. It's a, dangerous, it's a dangerous job. It wasn't in the job description. <laughs> if I knew that was going to come along with it, what am I better prepared myself? So uh, big news, I guess, our uh, very first podcast hit the airwaves yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, it dropped yesterday, so so our viewer viewership's probably up to like what a million people already, and probably close to it. Tens yeah. of millions in um, you know revenues from uh, advertising and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, lots of uh, money from from advertising. We have all kinds of companies reaching out already. Yeah, looking for sponsorships. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, but but no, it did drop yesterday, and uh, very exciting. A lot of stuff on the back end that had to get done before but it was good and so we, i hope that were you nervous about it at all going public i mean yes to the degree that like i didn't uh i didn't want to waste anybody's time and so and a lot of time has been put into this like you and i obviously me and then but also just like tiffany and all kinds of people so i didn't want it to be something that because I think the content is good. I'm not. That's not something that I'm nervous about. Right. It's just whether or not it there's a a desire for it, and so I guess to a certain degree. But I don't know. It was so like those that last like week leading up to it. I was pretty busy getting ready for it, so yeah. I just kind of didn't think about it too much. Yeah, you put a lot of work in. Um, I was I was kind of nervous. I don't know why. Um, you know, I guess for anybody who isn't, you know, a celebrity or some high-profile individual, um, every podcast, I guess, begins in some level of, of obscurity. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to see what will become of it. And um, I think, you know, we've done, what, like eight or nine episodes now that we're... Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the 10th. We're dividing them up and kind of figuring out how to distribute them in like manageable segments. But um, I, I, I'm curious just to see what the value will be for yep. folks. Um, like you said, I, I, I've enjoyed the conversations, and I like the fact that it is. It's just a conversation. We're not trying to you know, push an agenda of any kind. Uh, we're just talking about some things that tend to get either – they get talked a lot about, and therefore we're weighing in, or they don't get talked about enough, and so we're making some contributions there. But, uh, you know, it, if it does nothing more than just serve our church family and the you know friends that they have that might be interested in the content, then, you know, we'll just trust God with that and kind of go on this journey and see what it, what it becomes of it. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of even, I don't know if you checked out the website, but uh, for it through Podbean, like I wrote a little, I don't know, a little blurb. It just said some things like warrant a conversation where I just kind of talked about briefly. Most people just get you on Sunday mornings in a sermon. 
um, and they don't know who I am, but less important. Um, but like they just get you on Sunday morning in a sermon, and, and like I think a lot of people would want to, again, I guess talking specifically about our church family, would want to be able to hear you discuss things in a non-sermon format. Yeah. Because um, it allows for so much more. Um, so so we'll see. I, I, I know I get a lot of benefit from that, and so um, yeah, it'll be good. I had this uh, person say to me something very interesting a couple, maybe like two weeks ago. They said, uh, could you just come and follow me around all day? So that when I don't know what to do, you, I could ask you to give me some guidance and all of that, just in the different, you know, dilemmas that that person faces throughout, you know, their day as a parent mm-hmm. and as a professional in the workplace and stuff. And and I, I kind of get what they were saying. They were saying, I, I want to do the right thing. I want to live my faith well. I don't always know how to do that. And, you know, certainly some of the situations that we all find ourselves in these days are precarious and difficult to know how to navigate as a Christ follower. And, and I think what they were saying was uh, it would be really nice if I could have somebody to kind of sort some of this stuff out with in the moment. And um, I guess if I had anything that I really wanted, you know, my life to, to offer – um, I'm a big fan of wisdom. It's the one thing I most want to be in life is to be wise. And um, I love to explore what wisdom looks like in real-life situations. And if this podcast can somehow um, offer some wise perspectives, or even more importantly, the the process of how one sorts out different issues of life and circumstances and then ends up making wise choices. If, if we could serve people that way, that'd be really, really satisfying. And wouldn't even be so much about how many people we serve that way is just to, to know that there was an audience that was finding the content of our discussions to be helpful in sorting out the wise path to a lot of the dilemmas that we all encounter in the course of being humans, uh, being members of a community, being parents, being friends, being Christ followers. All of those things come with all sorts of different and unique challenges and sorting our way through them and navigating our way through them in a wise way, I think, is is, is challenging. But I find it to be uh, I find it to be very interesting or intriguing. It's an adventure for me. Yeah. Like, I I am currently in this, um, I'll just call it a dilemma. I don't know if that's the right word. But I I have this thing that I'm trying to sort out um, based on a a recent incident or circumstance. And it's it's interesting. I think in years past, I might have been either discouraged by the situation or... um, might have been angry about not knowing what to do or what to say in response to the situation. And what I did this time is to say, you know, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to I'm going to go on a journey with you and I'm going to ask you for wisdom mm. about how do I decide my future in relationship to this this particular situation. And um just gave myself time. I just gave myself time to 
to hear from God. And I didn't put any time frame on it, but I didn't, I didn't go into panic mode like, oh, no, I don't know what to do, therefore God's not helping or I'm a failure or um, whatever other sort of emotional response I might have had to the situation. I just said, okay, I, I've never been here before. This is a hard dilemma for me to sort out. So I'm going to just wait on hearing from God about the wise way. And so that's where I am right now. I'm just sort of on this adventure of listening to my soul and and listening to what's going on around me as, as ways that I uh, discern God's voice in my life to be a wise person. And um, I don't know. It's, I don't know how we got there other than the fact that I hope this podcast and the ways that we go about the conversations on the different topics that we select will become, you know, helpful to an audience on um, how to sort out the wise way to go in the various yeah. situations that they face. And I think today's topic is, <laughs> is an enormous um, expression of the search for wisdom in um, trying to live out our, our lives as Christians in a balance of uh, grace and truth. So I'm interested to have this conversation with you. Yeah, no, me too. Um, this has been something that like, I've tried to figure out because, well, those of you who know me... Um, I kind of have this thing for truth. Not that other people don't, but like I, I, if I hear something that isn't true, I will address it then. At least I would. <laughs> then. And, and I don't do it in like a mean way, but right. it's just very straightforward. Like I am resolute in whatever it is that I say. Right. I could be wrong, but whatever it is that I'm saying, I actually think is true. And so, um, but then sometimes it, it comes across... Um, not as graceful as it could be. And so like the, this idea of truth and grace and the, the balance there um, kind of all funnels into this problem that I think a lot of um, well, one Christians have run into, but just people in general is speaking truth and grace or speaking truth and love. Maybe I'm sure you've probably heard that phrase sure. sometime. Um, and our listeners probably have too. But it is kind of a balancing act. Um, no, it's it, a huge balancing it, act. Yeah, and and it sounds simple, but it's it's tough. Would you say it's it's fairly difficult? Like, yes, I mean it's it's a very delicate dance. Um, so you know, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that they are to, you know, in their relationships, they're supposed to speak the truth in love. And so there's some people who they, they, they want to speak truth, but they don't always do it with love. And then there's some people, they just want to show love, so they avoid speaking the truth. So you, that, that's, that's, um, sometimes it's a, it's a reflection of somebody's unique personality. It's just sort of the way they're wired. Just like you said, uh, you have sort of a, a high antenna for truth. And when you hear that so when you hear something being discussed that doesn't seem to be consistent you're you're quick to move toward it because mm-hmm. you're kind of maybe we'd say you're a truth person mm-hmm. um so there are some people who are very very interested in the nature of truth and that it be understood and and then there are people who they'll avoid the truth because they they want to kind of be the loving person 
in a situation. And then um, the other expression comes from a description that uh, John writes of Jesus, that Jesus was full of grace and truth, which I think is just another way of saying truth and love. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a similar term. So Jesus, who we believe is God come to earth, he's described as having as, as being full of grace and truth, which I interpret as meaning he was equal parts grace, equal parts truth, uh, they were held in perfect balance, and they were always delivered consistently. Mm-hmm. So when he spoke truth, he never did it outside of the bounds of grace. And when he was gracious, he never did it at the sacrifice of truth. So we have this, you know, we have this example in the character of Jesus full of grace and truth. And then we have this instruction for the early church, which then, you know, echoes down the quarters of time as being applicable applicable to us as Christ followers in the 21st century, that we are to speak the truth in love. And the problem is none of us are Jesus. Jesus was perfect at it. He was consistent at it. He never sacrificed one for the sake of the other. But we're not perfect. We're human beings. And so we we are more prone to be out of the balance. Mm-hmm. And so some of us are going to side toward truth and some of us are going to side toward grace. And, um, and then depending on the situation, the circumstance and the, and the, you know, the audience, the people who, <laughs> the people who favor love, they'll, or grace, sometimes they'll slide toward truth. And so we just, we can just be really inconsistent with it. And so, like you said, it, it is a challenge because of the nature of our heart as human beings, we're not perfect, we're not like Jesus in, in that way, that um, it is, it's difficult for us to always maintain a balance that's yeah. consistent. And I think that's the invitation of spiritual growth, is that as we seek to pursue becoming more like Jesus or a better reflection of Jesus or Jesus living through us, however you want to um, describe that, it's the pursuit of learning how to balance grace and truth in the various situations and circumstances of our life. And that goes back to wisdom. Like a wise person is able to balance grace and truth, and they know how they're delivering their truth with grace or how they're expressing grace while speaking to the truth. A wise person does a little bit better job at that than, let's say, in contrast, the foolish person. Yeah. Because if you look at the book of Proverbs and like the wise person and the foolish person, the wise person is much more disciplined. And so he's much more disciplined at balancing these quandaries of grace and truth. Whereas the foolish person, he's reckless or she's reckless, uh, undisciplined. They, they don't have a good governor. So sometimes they are way overboard on you know, a judgmental sort of use or an aggressive abuse of use of truth. Or sometimes they're negligent in you know, expressing love at the expense of speaking the truth. So yes, it is, it is a very, very delicate dance and it takes... It takes a really um, thoughtful, discerning Christian to even be sensitive 
to seeking the balance. Yeah. And kind of removing ourselves from situations and really seeking or endeavoring to be in a reflection of Jesus in a situation that then strives for this this uh, balance in how we express both. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Um, and I think, like, a lot of what drives the foolishness, at least on my end, is just um, how fast I want to respond. It's, like, not necessarily to... Um, beat someone or anything like that but it's like my mind is going so quick and is i'll respond really really quickly um and and again i'm coming from a place to where i like and this this is probably perhaps a problem so i guess the big problem is there are people who think that um however it is that they are uh, correcting someone telling someone that something that they believe is true they think that they're probably doing it and like they're probably they think they're speaking in love and I think that can be the issue is that both sides of this, someone who tends more towards truth or tends more towards grace, they both think they're right. Yes. And that's where it can get really, really complicated because one person would say, well, this person needs to know the truth and it's loving of me to inform them. <laughs> um, <laughs> enlighten their soul. Um, and then the other person's like, well, the truth will come along, but love is the most important. Right. Um, and so, like, I've just tried to slow down in, in in my own personal approach to this. And even after I have conversations with people, I think about it. Because, yeah. like, I, I do tend towards truth. It's kind of getting more, I guess, personal about me. I tend more towards truth. But I also am burdened with, <laughs> I say burdened, but I think it's a good thing. Burdened with this thing that if any of my relationships are out of whack or messed up in any kind of way, uh-huh. it drives me insane. Can't sleep, can't do anything. And so I, I always go back and think about it. But I think people just speak so quickly and they don't slow down to actually hear what the other person's saying. Right. Um, either way, it's like if you tend toward, towards grace, like this person could be saying preposterous things that are completely untrue to the point of harm or self-harm and just not say anything. Um, I don't know. What, is that, does that make any sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, and maybe that's uh, there's a reason why... Um, you know, you've heard the the saying, we have two ears and one mouth, is that maybe the intention was that we should listen more than we speak. Yeah. And you really do have to, if you're going to be diligent, you really do have to examine what is the motive or the intention for why I feel compelled to speak so mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that isn't about defending the truth it's about promoting self yeah i'm gonna step in here and i'm gonna declare truth because well i can see the error of your thinking and you really need to see it my way and so the slowing down which i i I really admire how you said that again i go back to wisdom i think the slowing down is the wise thing is you're slowing down to listen you're slowing down to check your heart or to check your motives. And you're slowing down to, you know, frame not only what you're going to say, but how you're going to say it. Yeah. The impetuous person who just jumps right in and starts talking off the top of their head, they haven't done that kind of careful governing of what it is they're about to do. And so a lot of times they blow up the situation. 
they end up making people mad or defensive or they come across sounding like a jerk. And then that doesn't help. We're not really promoting anything positive at that point. Um, but the person who slows down and says, okay, careful here, you know, you're kind of warning yourself, hey, mm-hmm. careful here. You know, what's one of Stephen Covey's great roles? Uh, seek first to understand before being understood. So that slowing down says, okay, am I really listening to what the person's saying or am I just really crafting my response? Yeah. And there's a big difference. Um, and, you know, most people have enough kind of social IQ that they can tell where your response is coming from. Yeah. They can tell it they can tell by tone of voice, they can tell by facial expression, they can tell by, you know, volume of what you have to say. They can tell by how you even handle the the truth that you're delivering. Um, are you trying to power up on them? Are you trying to embarrass them? Are you trying to demean them? Um, are you trying to uh, dismiss whatever they have to offer? They most people can they have sort of this um, ability to to sort of interpret that, even though what you say might have been said very well. It's how it's delivered yeah. that ends up creating the problems. And that's the thing about Jesus. I don't think he ever did that. And we see we see Jesus saying some hard things. Yeah, we see Jesus delivering some hard news to people who didn't want to hear it, but. And unfortunately, we don't have we don't have recordings, so we don't have a tone of voice. But um, it's almost interesting how how a person understands Jesus. We almost then apply a tone of voice to what he has to say. Mm. And so, if you're sort of a aggressive, antagonistic, sort of argumentative person, you probably hear Jesus saying, you know, with a pointed finger, yelling at somebody. But it may be that Jesus said some really hard things in some really gentle ways. Yeah. Um, but I think it's I think it's noteworthy, and I, I'm I'm paying attention to this. Is that so? Jesus was this perfect balance of grace and truth, or truth and love, and yet he said some hard things to hard people, but he was never inconsistent with the balance of grace. So I think there's a lesson there, at least something to explore, and that is. It is possible to say hard things that people don't like to hear and it can still be loving even though they don't hear it that way. They don't receive it that way. And so I think think some of the eggshells that Christians are walking on these days and even, you know, I'll say to myself, it's true of myself, is how to wade into conversations of truth in relationship to culture and society and all that we see happening, how to wade into truth with a motive of love and with um, doing my best to demonstrate and to deliver that news with love, recognizing that not everybody's going to receive it as loving, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm in the wrong. Yeah. Because, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that's very popular nowadays is that if you don't approve or affirm certain moral or ethical choices that people are making, then 
they'll accuse you of not being loving. And I just, I just have a hard time seeing that in the person of Jesus as our model. He said hard things. They must not have always felt loving, but he was able to deliver them in love. So it's possible. Well, I think that's a corruption of how we understand love, too. Oh, you know? without a doubt. I mean, if it's only positive or accept, accepting, then, well, it's kind of like that, and I've said it before, it's like, well, you're fine how you are. It's like, no. Everyone knows they aren't fine how they are. They can at least improve somehow, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't do me any good. Um, and somebody needs to tell me, like, when the, like I would, I, like I would hope that somebody would call me out whenever I'm being a jerk. You know, I'm my my goal is not to be a monster. I might continue to be one if I don't know it, but I right. think it's loving for someone to come and be like, "Hey, man, sure, be a jerk." But yeah, I think it is a corruption of the idea of what we see. Oh, as without love. a doubt. A- another expression of like the corruption of how love is interpreted and and used is I'm watching, I'm watching this whole Jesus was love kind of um, image being used in arguments is to say, well, you can't condemn what I do or you can't be opposed to my moral or ethical uh, choices because you're a Christian and you're supposed to be like Jesus and Jesus was loving. And Jesus had all sorts of different, you know, friends and he treated people so well, even though they weren't anything like him. And, and so the, the argument is, if you disagree with me or if you, um, if you don't hold my position on whatever social situation, is that you're not being loving like Jesus was. <laughs> and all that is is manipulation. Yeah. It's just a, it's an intimidation tactic to get somebody off the discussion or to make someone feel bad and then sort of you know, shrink back in what they're trying to say because the fact of the matter is that jesus never loved at the expense of being holy righteous and just yeah and so yes he was very loving to all sorts of people and he was very gracious and kind to all sorts of people but he never once um, allowed them the permission to rationalize that what was wrong would be acceptable yeah and so uh, we have to remember he he was he was both loving and he was both holy, righteous, and just. And it's it's just it's it's alarming to me. And like you said, it's out of a, a spirit of concern. How many Christians I'm I'm seeing who will say, "Well, just let people do what they want to do because that's loving." And I go, but out of concern for them, they're going to stand someday before a holy, righteous, and just God. And his love for them is not going to excuse them from their responsibility to a choice or a way that they lived their life that was inconsistent with his holy, righteous, and just character. Yep. So it's out of love that I seek to warn them. Um, you know, this this coming Sunday, I'm... I'm doing a message, and I'm gonna I'm gonna preface the message with looking at one of the scariest passages in the Bible, and um, I'm going to explain and hopefully 
the audience will understand. I, I'm not sharing it to scare you. I'm sharing it to warn you. I, I want you to be aware that if this passage is what it says it is, the implications are huge. They're enormous from an eternal perspective. So I'm coming, it's a scary passage to think that Jesus would actually say that and do that, what we're going to look at. It's really scary to think about that, but I'm not, I'm not look, asking you to look at it to scare you because that's just manipulation. I'm looking at it, I'm asking you to look at it as your shepherd who's warning you, please don't wait too late to figure out the implications of this passage of Scripture on your life because it truly is eternity weighs in the balance. Yeah. And so it's out of a love for our congregation that I want to warn them about this. Now, I've always said, I, I still believe it, is um, my job is to deliver the information, but they're adults, they're big people. They have to make their own choices about what they do with the information. And so Sunday, it's going to be, here's the warning. Here's the information that you need to be aware of. The, the implications are enormous, but you're an adult. You're a big person. You'll have to make a choice about how seriously you take this or whether you think, in fact, that's exactly what Jesus was saying, or would he actually do that to anybody? And, and uh, so it's, it's love at times that warns. I mean, every parent knows this. Mm, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, every parent, they have, to, they have to say hard things and do difficult things their kids don't like. But they do that out of a love for their child. Yeah. And their child's going to be upset, throw a temper tantrum, be mad at them, say really mean things back. But it's the love of a parent that says, I, I don't want to see you get hurt. I don't want to see you continue to do whatever it is that you're doing because that's not going to go well for you in life. And as an adult who's, you know, 20, 30 years older than you, I know that that choice that the child's making will be dangerous or be, you know, uh, detrimental to their life. So it's in love that a parent disciplines. It's in love that a parent, you know, corrects and admonishes their child. Hey, we're not going to, I'm not going to allow this the choice you're making is dangerous the kid doesn't see it but that is a really really loving parent well that comes from wisdom too because that parent yeah. knows yeah you know, it's like parent. what it's like what loving parent would not warn their toddler that touching the stove is going to result in a burn now the kid might still touch the dang stove in which case he has to learn the hard way right but like i'm i would still tell my kid hey that's going to burn you yeah you know it's like no no loving parent would not give their child a heads up in that way um, yeah, in fact, it, it, you could flip that coin over. It's an unloving parent who doesn't mm -hmm. step in and warn their child about behaviors and choices that are detrimental to their life. And, and you see that a little bit in sort of some contemporary parenting models where mom and dad, they're just trying to be the kid's best friend. And they're just trying to be the cool older person in their life. And so they don't step in and they don't warn and they don't redirect a child's behavior all the way up through like 18s and 20s. They're still not stepping in and doing anything. And they're just letting, basically they're setting their child up to learn all the lessons the hard way. Yeah. And 
those hard lessons learned sometimes can be not only very painful, but they can have consequences that will last the rest of that kid's life. Yeah. And all because a parent wasn't willing to love their kid enough to step in and, you know, set a boundary or establish a rule or, or you know, provide some accountability. And that's just heartbreaking to think how many kids grow up either injured in some way, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, because a parent didn't love them enough to, to do the work of a parent. Yeah. And I, I, I've all, I don't know how accurate this is, but one thing that I've kind of put into what it means to love someone is to desire the best for someone and to help them call that part out of them. It's like help them become, in, in what I believe, become more like Christ, essentially. Yeah. It's like how can you become, you, you know, Paul's version of, of the most like Christ that Paul can be? And so, like, I think that it would, it would be appropriate to say that if I, well, if I love you, I would do whatever I can in, 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 uh, to an extent to be able to help draw that out of you and desire that for you. Um, and so I think that that in, in and of itself, like with the parent and the child, it's like those parents want what's best for their kid. That does not mean overprotecting because any good parent knows that, well, what, who am I to say that? But I, <laughs> I think any good parent knows that the kids needs to have fr- freedom enough to make some mistakes so that way they do yeah. know how to handle it. Right, um, but yeah, to know what's to to desire what's best for that person. But then it comes down to, and I think in our Christian, in a, in a Christian um, perspective, well, do you actually believe that what you believe is best? Does that make sense? Yes. I, as I was preparing for this, I kind of got down in there. It's like, well, do do we think that Jesus's way is the best way? Because if so, wouldn't we be a little bit more excited to? promote it right yes i i think you're touching on a kind of a foundational or fundamental topic of um to what degree do christians believe the truth of god's truth mm-hmm. I, I think i just said uh, two sundays ago in a message christians have to decide what they believe about what they believe <laughs> They really have to decide, is it really the eternal truth of God and I have to start structuring my life around it and calling others to it? Or is it just one of many options and it's just sort of like the religiously favorable option that I've chosen for me? But if you've chosen another option, that's fine too. It's each his own. I, I don't... At the end of the day, I don't believe that God's truth is a to-each-his-own sort of thing. I mean, a lot of people approach it that way. But at the end of the day, there is God's truth. And at the end of the day, all human beings will be held accountable to it. And, and, And so that right there, that's a statement about, do I really believe that? I look at the scriptures and I, I think I be- see very clearly that all human beings will be called into account to God's truth. So then they need to understand that now, not when they're standing on the precipice of eternity and it's too late for them to you know, square up to that truth in a way that's going to save their soul. So, yes, um, 
Christians have to do a lot of honest homework in their heart and their soul about how much do I believe Jesus is in fact the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, it's a hard truth, and a lot of people, a lot of Christians, dance around it and go, "Well, you know, there's many roads to heaven, and this person, they're not a Christian, but they believe in this other religious option, and they're very sincere about it, and they're very diligent about it, and I, I think God will honor that too." And I just have to step back and 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 disagree. Yeah. Um. I think that's and that's the stuff you go round and round and round about, not only with Christians but non-Christians about. Well, and I think that's what makes this so difficult sometimes is that there's no more objective claim than that in a in a I guess society and culture that's uh, kind of puts subjectivism up on a you know everybody can to each his own essentially yeah, each his own um, up on this pedestal. Well, there's no more objective claim. Then you come in and you're like, no, my way is the only way. Yep. I mean, it, Jesus did tell us that we were going to face persecution. Yep. We were not going to be the most popular folks. Yep. And, you know, he talked about, you know, being a, a stumbling block in the sense that he, he talks that he's the cornerstone that people will trip over. I mean, like, so Jesus is this enormous boulder standing in the path, and you try as you might, at some point you're going to have to you're going to have to find your way over that boulder. Like Thanos said, I am inevitable. I didn't know that he said it that. He was an Avengers. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, Jesus Jesus puts himself out there as I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Acts chapter 4. Um, there's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Jesus. And no one comes to the Father except they come through Jesus, and that means they're going to come through the cross and the resurrection. And I'm telling you, I don't have to tell you, um, that is an enormously unpopular opinion. Yeah. Even amongst Christians now, <laughs> it's an unpopular opinion. Yeah, exactly. Cause, and, and so let's just take that in terms of grace and truth. So if I come out on record and say, no one's going to get to heaven unless they come through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, seeing his death on the cross and his resurrection as being the one and only means by which they're made right with God. That's a very exclusive claim. And you could turn it over and go, anybody who doesn't, okay, listen, anybody who doesn't come through faith in Jesus Christ to God, they will spend eternity in hell. And man... You have Christians go bonkers saying, well, that's not very loving. That's not very gracious to say something so bold and so inflexible and so... And I go, well, I, I don't know how else to answer you. Take it up with God. <laughs> There's a sense... <laughs> File your report. <laughs> File your complaint. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so interesting to me. I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, sort of in this dilemma I'm sorting my, myself through right now. Um, it's like people believe that preachers have the prerogative to just make the Word of God say whatever everybody wants to hear. 
or that the preacher has the prerogative to make it say what he wants it to say. He doesn't. I mean, if he's honest to his role and his responsibility. His job, her job, is to speak God's truth as clearly as they best understand it. Yeah. Whether it falls on popular lines or not, regardless of where it falls on political sides of the issues, wherever it falls on, you know, how it makes people feel from like being loved and approved and affirmed and accepted. The job of the preacher is to speak the truth of God's word to a generation, regardless of culturally or socially or morally how how popular or unpopular it is. And I just don't have the prerogative. I didn't write the book. I don't have the prerogative to say, ah, you know what, I I think that's outdated. I think that God's probably not really like that. I I think God's probably going to cut people some slack. I, I can't say that. I really can't. And not answer to God for how I handled his work. You don't have to give any details, but like over your 25 years, how many times has that uh, claim been levied against you? In what way? That... What you're saying is untrue, or you're just saying it for this the motivations that you just suggested. A few times, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's been a lot because I've enjoyed a you know a certain uh, credibility and a certain um, uh, encouragement and, and support in my role as a pastor here. So it hasn't been, it hasn't been a lot. It's been a few times. And a lot of times it hasn't ever been, it hasn't necessarily been directly to my face. I mean, some of them have been real live confrontations. But most of the time it's just getting the news that somebody's left the church. Mm. Because they, they didn't like something I said or the way that I said it. Or complain to somebody else. But Yes. Which, <laughs> but anyways, like, with that, the reason I'm asking is, like, how many of those instances did anybody come and say, hey... What you said was untrue, and here's why. Was that ever the case? Or was it just, I don't like this, or I don't think that's biblical? Well, yeah, you'll go round and round about whether something's biblical or not. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it comes back to an interpretation of the scriptures, and so I'm going to interpret it to the best of my ability with the disciplines and the rules and the training that I have. And so I'm going to say, from my best understanding... This is what I believe God is trying to help us to understand in this passage. And then you'll have people come back and say, well, but what about that verse in, you know, some other book? Or what about this train of thought? Or, well, I don't think Jesus would really be like that. So you get kind of both the um, personal feeling kind of perspective as well as, well, what about this other verse? Yeah. And I I don't want to say this is always the case because... This wouldn't be always be the case, but they're not necessarily reflecting the same level of skill with how they go about interpreting the scriptures. I mean, the scriptures literature, and so there are rules for how you go about interpreting it, and not everybody knows those rules. They haven't necessarily been trained in it, so it's really easy to read the Bible and just sort of say, "Well, here's what I think it says," and I. Th- 
the reason I think it says this is because it just makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, a good a good communicator of God's truth is saying, well, I would like it to say something else too, but by the rules of interpretation and how you know this type of literature or this particular context or what was happening in the immediate historical context of the situation, it's most likely that what Jesus is saying or what God is saying or what Apostle Paul is saying is this, regardless of how I feel. Yeah. And regardless of what contemporary culture is promoting as being, you know, more popular. I think, well, yes. Yeah. And like the reason that I was asking those questions was because like, it's your job to be able to, to, to communicate uh, God's truth to the congregants. And I think the congregants job is instead of, doing what I think a lot of people do is just like, well, I don't like that for here, these obscure reasons. It's like, if you said something on this on stage that I disagreed with, I would go and come up and tell you why I disagreed with you. I mean, that's what we're doing essentially here or what conversation is meant for is like, Hey, well, let's get to the bottom. Let's find the truth. But, and this kind of brings us into kind of some of the more practical parts of this podcast, which is, well, okay, speaking grace and truth, I kind of separate, I want to separate this into two different uh, baskets. You have one, speaking grace and truth, with people who are like-minded, who both claim Christ. And then one, speaking grace and truth, to people who do not. You don't share the same foundation. Right. If you think that we shouldn't separate them, let me know. But that's just kind of the way I've done it in my head. Sure. And it brings me back to uh, Philemon, Philemon? Philemon. Philemon. Depending on how you choose. <laughs> Philemon. Um, Paul was uh, drafting a letter or writing a letter to Philemon. Um, and I really think that it, the way that he kind of called him out, for lack of a better term, but he appealed to their like-mindedness in Christ. He's like, hey, I know that once you realize you're wrong— you will go above and be, it's kind of, it was kind of sarcastic almost. I was like, geez, Paul, you're really like, hey, I know you're going to do even more once you realize you're wrong. But like he does do this in an appeal to, hey, I can call you, like, well, one, I'm going to praise you. I'm proud of you. I love you. We're brothers. I'm kind of establishing that I care about you and I want what's best. But then also, hey, this is wrong. And I think it's kind of clear with our morals. Um would you, is that kind of a strain of maybe how we do such thing in the church or with people who are like-minded? Well, I, I do believe that there's, you know, different approaches. Yeah. So if you're talking to Christians about a situation, you work from a certain fundamental belief that you all share similar propositions. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can both approach the discussion as well as um, go about the discussion based on some shared beliefs. And so that may change the way that you actually have the conversation. But because they're a Christian, and let's say in this situation, they need to be reminded of truth, that still doesn't allow permission to do it without grace. Yeah. Jesus was full of grace and truth no matter who he was talking to. So 
Christians talk about the truth in a context of grace, but they just share some certain, they share some propositions of belief that allows them to have a conversation that may be very different from how you go about that same conversation about something um, with a person who's a non-Christian, because you don't share the same beliefs. Yeah. You don't work from the same foundations. And so it's interesting. A few years ago, I, I, um, a guy reached out to me. We, we knew each other um, through some mutual acquaintances. He reached out to me, and he had some interesting questions. So we started uh, going to lunch together. He's not a Christian. And I don't want to say he's antagonistic to Christianity, but um, he's very opposed to it. He had had some really bad experiences with Christians, and so he just sort of saw them as ridiculous. And um, so it was interesting how he and I had conversations as opposed to how you and I might have a conversation. Yeah. And here's, a, here's just an approach. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's one that's worked for me. So if you and I had a conversation about something between right and wrong, um, we just because of the nature of our friendship and, and our personalities, we'd have kind of a lighthearted, you know, give and take. And um, we'd go about it. You'd make your claims. I'd make my claims, and we'd sort of tussle over them, all within a, kind of a, a good-natured kind of camaraderie. With him, I had to be really, really careful. I, I wanted to I wanted to speak truth, meaning I wanted to explain as truth as truthfully as I could the truth of God's word. But I had to do it in a way that didn't make him defensive, particularly in light of his past experiences. Mm-hmm. So what I did in that is I came from curious. I just came from, hey, tell me Tell me more about what you think, and tell me more about why you think God's perspective on that is ridiculous. And so I, I really came as a learner. Like I wanna, I wanna really understand where you're coming from. And then the second thing that I did as coming from curious is, I just was never dogmatic. I'd say, well, you know, here's here's the thing. I read the Bible, and I'm trying to make sense. You know, I take like this real humble attitude, like. Okay, so I read the Bible and I'm trying to make sense of it. And I look at a passage and I, you know, say Matthew chapter five, and I go, it sounds like this is what Jesus was saying. And man, it's just a crazy maker trying to figure out like how would that actually work out in life? And and so I kind of I don't want to p- say I play dumb because that's not really that hard for me. I. I'm kind of dumb, all right? So Self-roast. I, I, I just try to, I try to be humble in saying, here's why I think what I do. It's because of stuff that I read that I believe that Jesus said, and I'm just trying my best to figure out what is its implications, as opposed to sort of getting up in his grill and saying, but... Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And, Read the words. Yeah. <laughs> and because at the end of the day, for him and I, in that situation, and this is true of a lot of situations, but for him and I, in that situation, he wasn't even ready to believe that the Bible is, quote-unquote, God's word. He, yeah. You know, so many people 
nowadays they look at the even Christians they look at the Bible as this, this ancient collection of writings that human beings you know produced there's a whole conspiracy theory that you know many of these authors just sort of got together and said hey let's make up this story the Jesus myth is a way to sort of push a religion so we can have control over people I mean they actually believe that's how the Bible came to be is that it's just one big conspiracy the one credible verse though love your neighbor as yourself how's that regard from that person's perspective yeah. the only thing they'll point <laughs> yeah. is like well doesn't yeah. it say don't you even <laughs> yeah <please."> so <laughs> they'll dismiss the entire bible except that one verse yep. you know love god so i mean love love your neighbor no matter what your neighbor does or how he chooses yeah. to live they love that verse but they want to ignore all the other verses that demonstrate a very just, holy, righteous God. And um, so I've, again, I'm just suggesting this is my approach. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I sort of take this humble, curious perspective when I'm talking with non-Christians. I'm really trying to appreciate where they're coming from. I try to uh, listen very carefully to what they're saying. And then I tried in a very humble way to say, well, you know, I, I my life's really committed to a belief in the truth of the scriptures. And, and so I read in here and it says this. And I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm taking the risk that that's true and I'm going to build my life around it. And, and so then it, it just provides a much more conducive conversation than us getting into you know, some big argument because I'm being forceful and then he becomes defensive and then I become defensive and it, it just spirals out of control, which happens way too often Yeah, in conversations about faith. Yeah. Well, I think that what you said, I mean, most people, one, they certainly want to be heard because, I mean, like this man, he might have attacked Christianity in this conversation with you, but he did, like, reach out to you. Yeah, to yeah. Like, he wanted to talk about it. And he wanted his thoughts and ideas heard. And most, so to most people, it's like, they want to be heard. And normally if you listen to them, and I always ask, so is this what, like, is this what you're saying? I want to make sure I got it right. Yeah, that's a good. One, so I don't get confused, which is likely. Uh, and then two, so they know I'm actually listening to them. But, and then, yeah, saying like, hey, this is what I think and why I think it. And granted, that last part, why I think it, I think is the challenging part. Like we were talking about with doubt. We talked about doubts a few podcasts or one podcast. And you're we talking about how a lot of people get defensive or aggressive whenever they don't know the, either the answer, they don't know why they think what they think. They just know that it's written in the Bible, which is enough for them. Fine. But if you're going to come out and, and start addressing someone, then they want to know why, and then you just continuously get aggressive. That's more. That shines more of a light on you. Yes, it does. You know, it just yeah. points out your ignorance of what you like, what you think. It diminishes the power of your of your argument. Yeah, it makes you look insecure. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I guess maybe last question for this. Um, podcast, but is there, I know that the, granted, there's so many different circumstances, but when, when do you not, when should you maybe not speak into something? Yeah. Um, 
I, I'd say there's, there's like two situations. And may, maybe at the end of the day, they're, they're really just one combined together. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, it always intrigued me. I think it's fascinating. Again, it comes from the book of Proverbs, which is my favorite book. Um, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, you look at that and you go, well, those are completely contradictory statements. Mm -hmm. Two verses back-to-back saying the complete opposite things. So on the surface, we'd sound like, well, the scriptures is ridiculous because it doesn't even understand itself. But that's furthest from the truth. The book is about wisdom. So what it's saying is that a wise person is able to discern. There's some situations where I speak up and address truth, and then there's some situations where I don't. The wise person is the one who discerns what kind of situation they're in. And is this a time for me to speak up because it will be of value? Or is this a time for me to be quiet because it wouldn't matter what I said? It's not going to be received. It's not going to be beneficial. Throwing pearls before pigs. Yes, pearls before swines. You go, there's just some situations. Take the very best truth that you could have, the pearls, and throwing them out right now, it would be just like throwing a necklace of pearls into, um, is it a pen? Mm-hmm. That you find pigs, and they don't appreciate it. They would, they would have no value for it, and so they just trample over it. So, I mean, think about this in terms of like, uh, let's say, a classroom at a university, or maybe um, like a workshop at a, some kind of corporate gathering. There may be something that's being said, something that's being decided, something that's being done that's very foolish, morally and ethically completely wrong. And a Christian finds themselves in that university classroom and they find them in that professional workspace. The Christian who's wise has to decide, would it be wise for me right now to speak up, to bring a different perspective to this, or would it be foolish for me? Yeah. And I'm not saying that's easy. And that's probably what I'm saying is that's why it's so important that a Christ follower really cultivate a heart and a spirit that's attuned to the Holy Spirit for him to guide them in situations like that and decide, okay, if I speak up right now, I may be jeopardizing my grade. If I speak up right now, I may have an entire classroom hating on me. If I speak up right now, I may have a professor who just goes ballistic, and it's going to be unproductive. It wouldn't matter what I said. They're not going to hear it. Or, no, this is time for me to speak up, take a stand for my faith, not be embarrassed of my uh, decision to follow Jesus, and I'm going to step out no matter what it means to my grade, no matter what it means to my popularity in this classroom, no matter what it means to what the uh, professor may throw back at me. I think that the truth needs to be defended here. Yeah. Well, it takes, it takes a lot of wisdom to decide what kind of context you're in. And um, so going back to your, to your original question, I, I think that's one of the factors is deciding when to be quiet and deciding when to speak up. 
and the I think the the texture to that is you have to be honest with yourself before God. If you're refusing to speak up because you're intimidated or you're ashamed or you're afraid, well, that's an issue. Yeah. Because now you're you're not acting in the courage that Christ has asked of us to be a light in our world or salt to the earth. We're not acting in the courage of you know stand, standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have to be really honest. Why am I being silent? Is it because this is a kind of situation that anything I said would be just useless? Or is it I'm being quiet because I don't want to create waves? Yeah. And it's a, like I said, it's a dance. The other thing that I... Um, I would say as a guideline, um, this is a quote I came up with a few years ago that it just continues to play right, meaning it keeps being um, uh, consistent. Um, And I say it this way, righteous is always right. Right is not always righteous. Mm. Anytime that we act in a righteous way, and that would be, you know, right as God defines right. So loving, humble, kind, compassionate, patient, those are righteous sorts of behaviors. So righteous is always right. You will never do anything wrong from God's perspective if you behave in a righteous way. Righteous is always right. But right is not always righteous. Mm-hmm. And what we find is there are people who stand up and they think they're being bold. Uh, They stand up for truth and they're aggressive and they're inconsiderate and they're mean-spirited and the veins are popping out on their neck and, 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 and they're just angry and they're coming at somebody with full force because they're right. But it's not being delivered in love. Yep. It's really not out of a concern for the audience or the person who's the recipient of it. It is about sort of showing yourself to be, you know, stronger in some sort of moral way. And you're right. And yes, what you're saying may in fact be right, but the method of delivery is not righteous. And therefore, it doesn't matter how right you are. It is not honoring to God. And so... I've I've identified that kind of little mantra as a real good guide for me is in a situation if if I have something to say I might be right but if the way I deliver it is not in fact humble and kind compassionate um then it doesn't matter how right I am I am offending a righteous god yeah And so I have to, it would be better for me to say nothing and violate the righteousness of God than it would be for me to, you know, get up and declare my position from a a really evil kind of heart. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're doing more harm than good that way anyways. Yeah. Uh, Overall, you, you, you rarely win the battle, but you always lose the war. Yeah, because basically people walk away from those situations thinking Christians are idiots, and so everybody loses, and it makes it that much harder for them to 
you know, ever really warm up to the truth of the gospel. If, yeah, like if you had dinner with that man that you went out to lunch with, you'd have just further cemented what he already believed to be true. Yeah, I would have. I would have just played into the stereotype, and I wouldn't have had the second and the third and the fourth lunch. Yeah, you know, we wouldn't have got together again because he would said, "Well, it's just it's like talking to a wall. It's the same experience I've always had." But I think the reason that we did have the third and the fourth lunch, particularly since he is the one who you know instigated it. It was a demonstration that I had conducted myself at least in a way that um, allowed him to be interested in pursuing the conversation rather than just checking out or walking away. But I'm sure that I'm, you know, I just want everyone to know I'm sure there's been situations where I didn't always do it that way and probably turned somebody off and. You know, I don't think that's happened a lot because it's just not even my personality. I, I'm not a very argumentative person. I'm not a very um, aggressive, dogmatic kind of person. Uh, it's just not my personality. There are other pastors that is their personality, and they go around you know, <laughs> leaving dead bodies in their wake all the time with their, you know, theological superiority and. I just find that really gross. Yeah. So that's not really my style. So I haven't been in those situations a lot. The situation I've been in more, just to be completely honest, is there's probably times that I refrained from saying what needed to be said because I didn't want to, I didn't want to not be liked or I I didn't want to get the pushback or I didn't want the relational conflict. So I avoided saying really what needed to be said because uh, I'm, you know, conflict avoidant, and on, you know, at one level, I'll answer for that. Again, I'm, you know, the beauty of living in a relationship with Jesus Christ is there's now no more condemnation. Um, but at the same time, there, there's a responsibility. I, and James talks about the fact that, you know, the preacher incurs a greater accountability for what he says and how he lives. So. I don't know what the accountability will be, but any time that I've sh- I've shrunk back from speaking the truth because I was afraid of what the reaction would be, um, there is a sense to which I'll answer for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I am, I guess in comparison to you, I, like I said, I am more argumentative and assertive. Um, yeah. I, let me correct. I I think you're assertive. I haven't found you to be argumentative. Now maybe that's just because of the nature of our conversations. I haven't necessarily well, witnessed you with friends. I, I guess maybe argumentative isn't not argumentative the right word. in the in that sense. Yeah, no. But like, I'll definitely uh, I won't shrink back from it, and I'll yeah, yeah. and and if there's an argument occurring, or I know that one needs to, one is going to happen. Um, there will be time. Like I, like I, I guess I call myself argumentative because I, I enjoy you the, enjoy the, the act debate of it. the lot yes. dialogue. But I don't see it as like being. I don't. I don't see argue as a nasty word. Yeah. Okay. I, um, you're using it in the way that it was intended. Yeah. Not the way that it usually gets interpreted. Yeah. And so, so but, I am that way. But I also like ask afterwards, and I can all in 
that's another thing. It's like if you're having this conversation, whatever the whatever the the conclusion of it is going to be, if that's going to destroy your relationship with someone, like I have right. these conversations all the time. It's like, well, there are circumstances where that might have to be the case. Very few in everyday things, and so it's like, well, I if I care and love about love this person, I want them in my life, and if it's not hurting me or someone else. Um, I don't want them. I don't want to drive them away either. Yeah, I I was in this social setting uh, a while back, and because I'm the preacher, you know that's always an element to my presence in no matter what setting. And this person um, in the setting, it, there's no secret that they couldn't be any more opposed to everything <laughs> that I believe and think, and. They tried to, um, we got into this conversation. There were other people sitting there, so it just wasn't me and them. Um, they tried to get a conversation going, and they were egging me on. Mm -hmm. Like, they were wanting to draw me out on my position so that they could then, you know, just land blast me. And I, I had enough discernment at that what was unfolding to where I said, you know what? You and I will just go round and round on this topic and it's not going to end well for either of us because we're just probably going to get mad at each other. And I don't want to do that to you or to us or to this situation. So maybe some other time you and I could get together. See that, I think that's, that's wisdom. Yep. And I knew what they were up to. I wasn't going to go there, and um, I just found a way to say, as truthfully as I could, you know, this isn't going to be productive. You already know where I come from. I know where you're coming from. We're not going to end up, neither of us is going to convince the other here, certainly in this setting, uh, about seeing it the other way. So rather than us create some scene, let's just not even go there. Yeah, see, I had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, you know, the book of Proverbs tells us there's two ways to be wise. Yeah. You can, you can make all the foolish choices and then suffer the consequences. And you can learn and go, wow, that really hurt. I don't ever want to do that again. That's one way to become wise. The other way to become wise is that you watch other people make foolish choices and suffer consequences, and you step back and learn lessons like, that looked like that hurt. I don't ever want to go there, so then I'll make a different choice. Yeah. So, Except in this scenario, it wasn't even me or the other person that <laughs> suffered. It was the other people at the party. Because <laughs> they just had to sit there for like two hours. Listening to you two bicker. Yes, right? and getting nowhere. Yeah. It's just me getting increasingly frustrated any other person. And so <laughs> then the next time I'm like, look, this is not going to go anywhere. Let's yeah. stop. Yeah. But well, I think this is really good. Any closing thoughts on speaking truth and love? I mean, there's so many things, but. Uh, t just two things and some of what we've already covered, but uh, it is a dance. Jesus did it perfectly. He balanced grace and truth and it's kind of, amazing to watch it unfold in the gospels um, we're not jesus we're not perfect like he is so we don't always get it right but with the spirit of christ living inside of us we can at least make some progress and we can grow up 
become more more mature. So it's possible to be a better reflection of Jesus in our life by balancing grace and truth in the discussions that we have with people that are touchy and, and difficult. And, and I would encourage any Christian listening to continue to strive, um, really fight, really, really fight this temptation to say, well, that's just the way I am. They're going to just have to deal with it. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm a straight shooter. I just say it like it is. And, and really that's just a lousy, um, that's just a lousy admission. You're just saying you're stubborn and you're not willing to grow and change. Um, I'm not asking you to become less of the truth teller that you are, but we have a responsibility of balancing it with grace. So I've, I've realized that most people who are like that do not like it whenever it's done to them. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go do it to them. <laughs> so first of all, I think grace and truth is possible and it comes with spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Um, and the second thing I'd say is, we are living in one of the most interesting eras of history. And you look at our culture and you look at our society and you look at our politics and you look at our religion and you look at arts and entertainment, whatever arena life you want to look at right now. And it's a mess. Mm -hmm. And the need for Christ followers to graciously speak truth I don't know that there's been a time, certainly in my lifetime, when it's more imperative. And Christians really need to find the way to delicately, kindly, compassionately, yet courageously and boldly speak the truth to friends, co-workers, relatives, um, people they encounter in various situations, to really be courageous to speak the truth. I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying be aggressive. I'm not saying be unkind. But everything that's God's truth is being attacked and is eroding in our society at a feverish pace. And I think it is a time for the church, and I mean Christ followers the world over, to really take confidence in the truth of God and and step up to it and in the, the right times and the right ways to speak it because otherwise it's going to disappear. And when it disappears, um, it's not going to go well for the world. And so uh, this, this of all times, again, I'm sure there's been other moments throughout history, other eras of history where it was absolutely imperative that the truth of God be spoken. Um, I'm just saying in my lifetime, I'm thinking that we're at a really critical juncture here. And I'm trying, I'm trying to find the balance of how to speak truth in love, how to you know, speak the truth in grace. I'm trying to find the balance of how to, you know, preach the truth of God's word without turning people off or turning people away, but coming to accept the fact that some of the truth is hard and not everybody's going to like it or want to hear it. And my intent is not to drive them away, but um, I, I'm negligent if I don't if I don't speak it. So, And I don't think that's just a preacher responsibility. I think that's a Christian responsibility. So we live in a really dicey world right now, and I think it's really, really important that Christ followers 
strive to develop a discipline of how to speak the truth in love. Yeah. How to speak the truth with grace. Um, but the error that I'm seeing happen most often. Yeah. Do I want to say that? Maybe that wouldn't even be fair. I, I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is abuse on either side. There's some people who will only go after the truth and they don't care about being gracious or kind in it. And so they're the, they're the angry, you know, Christian who's judging everybody and pointing fingers and screaming and ranting and raving, and they are not a reflection of Jesus. I don't care how bold they think they are. Really what they are is they're arrogant and they're um, aggressive, and it doesn't look like Jesus. The other side of that equation is all kinds of Christians who want to favor love and who you know want to be the loving, kind, gracious reflection of Jesus. And so they're literally affirming and accepting and applauding and approving all sorts of lifestyles and choices that are not consistent with the truth of God's word. And so we're not doing anybody any favor by not warning people about those things. And so it's one or the other. And what Christ is inviting us to is to bring them together in some reflection of his son in us. And if anybody here thinks, or anybody listening thinks that that's, say you're over the age of 30 or 40, and think that that, anything that Paul just said might be overblown, the conversations that I have with people my age and younger would astound you. The things that they that they no longer understand the definitions of, the things that they believe are okay or even possible. Um, go go get a feel for what younger people are thinking nowadays. And, and if, 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 if you're doubting that what Paul said is true, that now is a very important time, go, go get a feel for what they're thinking and you might change your mind. But well, this was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you for the conversation. Thank you, sir. We'll see everybody next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CibolaCreek.com. Thanks for listening.